What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just two ninety nine each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. This is Ideation Collective. I'm Jess, and today on the show we've got Linda Galindo. She's an author, she's a consultant, and she's an accountability activist. How do I get people to totally own their 100%, their role, because we need you, at the same time we all own the end thing 100%, so individually and collectively at the same time. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash child rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Today on the show, we've got Linda Galindo. She's an author, she's a consultant, and she's an accountability activist. Linda, what does it mean to be an accountability activist? An accountability activist is what I'm doing now because accountability is missing from so much in society now. And everyone's calling to say, I have accountability in my values. One of the values of my company is accountability and we need to activate it. So people have concept of it, but it's not actually active in my organization. Will you please come and help us do that? So I do. <laughs> um, so if we, well, let's, let's start off. Let's tell some people about some of the fancy things you've done. Can you tell us about either some of the fancy sounding clients or some of the more meaningful projects you've been a part of? Anything come to mind right off the bat? Right off the bat, I would say a brand new general manager of an organization that needs to establish his leadership and he wants to get everybody engaged. So a big thing right now is employee engagement. And so he calls me in and the The culture's been old. Maybe it's in a nuclear facility or it's, uh, you know, a a rocket propulsion company. And going into those where there's really, really smart people and you're working with the leadership and their names of companies that you would recognize quite easily and saying, okay, let's start at where do you want this whole concept of of accountability to be activated in your organization and what do you have to do? So, You know, what's interesting about the work I'm doing in the big name things is that it's actually individual 
uh, leaders, often the CEO or the GM, who has to first admit that they have to do some improvement in the area of accountability and don't know the first thing about what to do to get started. And probably in most cases would prefer to remain unnamed as they do this work in their organizations. But I can tell you, I am working in rocket propulsion, nuclear finance, healthcare, um, energy, those areas, and a lot, a lot of technology. I can't forget that. So I work in lots of IT uh, organizations that want to just pull this whole idea of accountability back in so it works for them. That's great. You know, on the on the show, a lot of times we talk about my my simplistic theory to business or nonprofit or, or building anything that you need to have something awesome, get people to want it from you, and be able to work the human systems to make those first two, th- two things happen. And I feel like you're really a specialist of that, of the the human side of getting work done, getting business done, creating culture, these kind of things. What what led you to focus on this work? Well, interestingly, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist from the age of seven years old. So I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. My mom worked for the police department. My dad worked for the water department in San Francisco. And so I grew up in that in the city. And one day I was in the backseat of the car with my mom. My mom was driving and uh, she pulled the car over because of a story that was on the radio. And she, and she she was so intent on listening to what the story was. I just remember sitting there going, that is powerful, that that somebody be in this little box and a voice and they pull the car, you know, causes people to pull a car over. At seven years old, like I realized what was going on. And I just right then and there thought, I want to be that person in that box. I want to figure out how that works. And so I did follow that path in, in broadcast journalism. And I always wanted to just do radio. And the opportunity came with my fabulous name, Linda Galindo, and my great voice, voice for radio. And so I became an, a newscaster on air. Loved it. Loved it. This is going to be what I do. Became an anchor very quickly and just thought, okay, great. But then one day a big change happened. And the big change was that um, the sales manager came into the booth that I was doing my story lineup, producing the, the, the show and said, I want to see your story lineup. And I said, well, who are you? And he said, I'm the sales manager of the station. And I said, okay, here's my story lineup. And he says, well, you have to take the second story out. And I said, so who are you? And he said, I'm the sales manager. That story is about an advertiser on our station. And if we do that story, they take their advertising off the station. First education and how it's working and how it's going to work going forward. And so I was very disturbed by that. I wasn't terribly mature in the business yet. And, and uh, you know, it was a rip and read environment in in most of the cases, meaning you just take the story off the wire, edit it and do it. And so, you know, that didn't sit right with me that now something else was going to dictate what we did and didn't do. And even at that young, tender age, I was thinking, wow, really? So I do what all of us do when we have a career crisis. I called my mother (laughs) and I said, you know, this is a big change. This is, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. And I was thinking about going to another market and I'd been interviewing for a bigger market. And I called ahead and said, tell me what the environment is. And they said, it's, it's happening here as well. That that uh, advertisers are now dictating news content. And wow. 
So now what? Then I started to notice this whole idea of leaders uh, in stories that I was doing while I was going to figure out what was next. Didn't understand, it seemed, the concept of accountability. They would change their definition of accountability. If something worked, they understood it perfectly. My company, our stock, you know, this great success. But then when it didn't work, they'd finger point and blame. I'm like, well, how does that work? And they still get the reward. You know, I didn't know. It was, you know, this division or this guy that went rogue or whatever. And it's like, but yeah, but you still got a huge payoff. That How is that working? It just intrigued me to the point that two years after that first call to my mother, I called her again and said, you know, I quit. I quit radio. I'm walking away from it. And she said, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I think I'll teach, write, speak, you know, become an expert on accountability. I'll own a, I'll start a consulting firm and, you know, I'll teach accountability. And so and how long were you in radio altogether then? 11 years. And then how long have you had the consulting firm? I've now been doing this 20 years. And there was the first firm was uh, kind of an indirect path to accountability because with a partner, we saw that we could teach value and managing differences in the workplace. So it was all when diversity was just coming into the foreground of companies because the Hudson Institute had determined that from 1985 to 2000, the net new entrance into the workplace were going to be primarily women, minorities, and immigrants. And that was going to be a big demographic change. Many companies did not know what it meant. Lots of government uh, contracting companies didn't know how to accommodate this big change. So with a partner in my very first consulting business, we focused on that. But in doing that, I realized women and minorities did not understand personal accountability was going to be their ticket to getting to where they wanted to be. So I just kept focusing down on that whole accountability thing. And the end of the story with my mom, when I told her this was, she was very quiet for a minute. And she said, well, don't think you're going to moving home if that doesn't work out. And she was very surprised that here's 20 years later, three books, that this accountability thing is just, just huge in terms of people calling and saying, I have accountability issues. So it was a good decision. It, took, it was a lot of risk to say, I'm going to talk on this one thing and get it back where it belongs in our corporate cultures and in our society in general. So so early on, what did that messaging look like when you said that for the women and minorities, that personal responsibility, personal accountability was going to be their ticket? How, how did you... How did that show up? How did you message that? I, I, it was one company in particular back east where uh, we were we were teaching value and managing differences, and they wanted just the women and minorities in a room to learn the concept of insights for success. And as I listened to the leaders who were deciding I was just going to talk to women and minorities about this, they were doing it programmatically. It was like when I get in the room just with the women and minorities, I'd close the door and say, let me clue you in on something. This is just to check a box. You have to decide and take total personal accountability for what success is going to be for you. And if it's not available here, you're going to have to make a new decision because you either understand intrinsically the value of differences and utilize them in your people, or you try to get people to assimilate to be successful in your organization. And so the style difference and, and who people are has something to do with their ability to bring their skill to your workplace and actually use it. 
And so I just started to very clearly see beliefs and attitudes of the predominant population are going to undo you if you don't start to handle what you believe and what your attitude is about what you want to be and how you want to get there and how what your definition of success is. Do you want to assimilate to get along or do you want to culturally integrate? So there were all these conversations around starting with what's your mindset of ownership for success, regardless of the environment you're put in. Let's start there. And most people had never thought about it. Be personally accountable. If you do that, then you know what you're looking for when you go out into the next opportunity or job. And and that seemed to really resonate with people. And then I just continued to, f- to refine the message. The other thing I realized was managers wanted people to be more personally accountable. And they wanted to know, how do I get them to be more personally accountable? Women, minorities, everybody. How do I do that? And well, I would ask them a question. How often do you find yourself rescue fixing and saving under performance? Oh, a lot. I'm always, I'm like constantly doing that. And I. And I said, well, then you contribute to the problem of people not being accountable. What if you let them fail and then taught them what the problem was between what you expected and what they did instead of rescue, fix and save it? Well, they won't like me. You know, they'll they'll rate me lower on my performance evaluation. I don't like my boss. But you're treating them like they're not capable. And by the way, if you rescue, fix and save the underperformer, you're starting to punish your best performer. You're starting to punish your best performer. Why? They get the work of the underperformer. Then they're like, I don't want to do this. I want to go somewhere else where I get to be a good performer. So the whole complicit environment in the culture started to really show itself to me in the early years of teaching the concept to women minorities to say, "Mm, they're not really thinking about you as much as you need to be thinking about you and taking total personal responsibility and accountability for your success, which you need to define, and don't let people rescue, fix, and save you. You don't need to be rescued. You need to be treated like you're a fully capable, able adult. And so you have to stop them to say, are you jumping in because you don't think I can do this or what? And so, you know, those those things started over those first years really to imprint on me to say, I could see where this is going wrong. And how people are complicit in driving accountability out of the organization and what it would take for them to stop. So um, what kind of advice do you have? You know, I think about running businesses. A lot of our viewers, they're either building a business or a charity or maybe they're doing something creative. They've got a band that they're growing or, or maybe they are in a division in a large company they're trying to grow. When you think about this idea, um, somebody who's leading a team and Honestly, you look at it, I mean, it's like being a parent. It's like, uh, I can either clean it up quickly myself or I can take the time to let the kid learn. Um, do you have any advice or any tips or tricks for people, the th- things a manager, things a leader can tell themselves of like, nope, we're going to go through the pain of letting them learn this time, even though it would probably be easier for me. It'd be, it'd, short term, it'd feel more painless to just fix it. But Linda said, Linda says, I need to let him go through, you know, what, any, any tips, any tricks of the, like, I know I should let this be a learning experience, but I, I kind of just want to get it over with. How do you get people to do with what they think they probably should do instead of what they feel like doing or any tips, tricks there? You say an important thing because they think they are doing, you know, a good thing by jumping in and fixing and all that kind of stuff. And and then when you start to talk to them about it, is that really a good thing? They say, you know, 
when I start to think about that a little bit differently, you're right. I need to change. What do I do? So let me give you an analogy and then see if that doesn't answer your question. The, the analogy would be, let's say you're getting surgery and you're lying on the table. And before they put you to sleep, you get to ask every person who's going to touch this operation on a scale of zero to 100 percent, how much personal accountability are you taking for this being a good outcome? What answer do you want from every single person <laughs> that's going to be involved in your operation? Yeah. What answer do you want? And people I only say, want oh, the 100%. surgeon to say 100%. Do you? <laughs> right? Nobody wants that. Or do that. you want each person to touch it? Yeah, right. So, so when you're working on something with other people and you have to interdepend, it's not life and death. Is it life and death? You know, so they don't, you know, they don't get the, the paperwork done exactly right. So you fix it or, but in life and death, you know, all, all kinds of things were involved in food, uh, where mistakes could be made and it's life and death food, um, airline, healthcare, right? You, you want people to have this mindset. You don't want somebody to say, well, Jess, for my part in this surgery, I'm here for you, but these two don't like each other when you go to sleep. So they kind of fight and, Oh, just for my part, I'm a hundred percent, but I read the chart and he's about to operate in the wrong knee. And I told him that once and he took me in the hallway and said, don't correct me in front of other people. You know, so I'm here for you with my part. And that's where managers, the, the, the tip is how do I get people to totally own their hundred percent, their role? Cause we need you at the same time. We all own the end thing a hundred percent so individually and collectively at the same time clear role clear goal we must interdepend and we each own and interdepend to the to the end point instead of just my part i understand this concept of being accountable what is the customer thinking the customer's thinking that if you have the logo on your shirt or on your car or you say this is who i work for you have the mindset of ownership for the customer getting what they want. And, you know, you could say, well, I don't like my, my wireless provider. Oh, that's not my division. You know, you don't like the sales department. You don't like the, no, I don't like that company. So it is in the smallest ways allowing people to stop and learn when they are not successful around you because then they learn and grow. And what does that grow? It grows the company instead of finger pointing and blaming and compartmentalizing it's well on that scale of zero to 100 percent what 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 level of personal accountability ownership for result which is what i'm talking about do i take at every opportunity and so the manager goes to his people and says what do we need to do so each of us takes 100 percent personal accountability individually and collectively at the same time what questions do you have between what we say we're going to do and and doing it well, do we have the resources? Do we have the right talent? Do we have the skill? Is it doable? Too often, you know, a manager will say, hey, I want you to make this car go to New York by Thursday. And everybody's looking at it going, but it only has three tires. How are we supposed to do it with only three? Yeah, you'll, you're creative. Go, you know, figure it out. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but, you know, you'll be fine. It's like, why can't I ask a clarifying question so I can own this fully? You know, where do you really stand with things? Clarifying. 
And, you know, you, it's, it's, as my mother would say, common sense. Really? Are you getting paid to walk in and say to managers, here's the top three things you can do? Be clear, ask people, you know, what questions they have before they can say, yes, I own this fully, et cetera. But the environment doesn't support being accountable. It supports rescue, fixing and saving and being heroic and rewarding that. So taking a hard look at first and foremost, where are you with this possibility that you have 100 percent personal accountability and that you want it in everyone around you and fixing things? doesn't promote that it just promotes dependency and enablement you know it makes me not th- that i feel strongly about it. yeah don't hold back you don't have to sugarcoat it for us lena you can just tell us how you really feel um you know it does make me think about uh i was you know i'm kind of an audiobook addict i was listening to this book about willpower the other day and they were talking about financial decisions and um you know they were saying what if the small cheats, what if you treated it like you have to do that every day of the month? You know, so you make this financial plan, here's what I'm going to do. And if you break it, now you have to break it in that way every day for the rest of the month. So so you start thinking about the long-term consequences. I just, anyways, that's a thought that was coming to me as you were talking. I was thinking, you know, as a leader, you know, I've had these different startups I've been in charge of. Am I really setting that example that, what if every one of my staff members matched my accountability? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Anyways, that's what I was thinking. I don't know if that's where you were going. That's 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 completely profound. And so my brand of teaching accountability is not for everybody. So we do this proprietary assessment that measures mindset of responsible and accountability before we go in to an organization to see if it's right, because it's like taking an x-ray when you're telling me your arm hurts and I take the x-ray and I say, oh, wow, big fracture. And I show it to you and you say, oh, I think it's a sprain. I don't think it's a fracture. And I'm, like, I'm looking right at it. I'm looking at the brokenness of the accountability at the leadership level before we get started to the point that I don't even do this kind of work. This is this. Uh, you, I, I, I will turn you down especially if you're going to argue with me about what it is. And so we, we're not for everybody because the rigor of putting accountability in your culture so that you get lower stress, job satisfaction, and productivity is, is you know, fairly straightforward. You've got to commit to very specific things. Like when you have a broken arm, they say, okay, don't move it. Don't be doing stuff. You have to mobilize it. So the equivalent of those things you're going to have to do just at the top of the organization, believe it or not, these are the top three things. You as leaders have to decide to talk to, not about each other. You, you know, you, you, if you want to model what this accountability down through the organization and get it, you've got to commit, talk to each other, not about each other in that kind of gossipy, backbiting, competitive way. One, two, no meeting after the meeting. You know what that is? The meeting after the meeting? It's usually in the parking lot or the stairwell or the, everybody's yipping, you know, but they didn't say it in the meeting. What kind of a culture is that? And it starts to, you know, divide people. And the third thing that I found in these many years of work is that you have to commit to not rescue, fix and save under performance. That you, you, you go to those individuals and you expect it and you make clear what you expect and then you hold each other to it. And that's only three 
of the top 12 behaviors that you've got to really be on point with to put accountability in play that society pushes back on quite a bit. But, okay. you know, we want to be exceptional in high performance. Well, and so anybody who is watching this on YouTube or somewhere else around the Internet, uh, if you come to Linda's page on ideationcollective.com, we're going to have links to her books. It's going to give you the rest of the 12 and other goodies, some extras, videos, stuff like that. So make sure to come check out her page. But, Linda, as you're talking there, I'm thinking about some of these CEOs that I um, do some coaching for and stuff. And, you know, the people who are starting something, they're so excited. They can't wait to to get things going. And, and if they are one of the ones that actually do become successful, now they've got this staff and this team to motivate or to get to be a well-oiled machine, right? And let's face it, the staff don't have the equity in this startup. They don't have the same drive, the same millionaire signs in their eyes because they're here for a paycheck. That's that's the contract you've got going with them. So when you talk about this, like um, this idea of having people, I, I mean, I would interpret it as like have people enjoy coming to work at the place that you're managing, the place that you're leading. Um, you know, I think for, for the dreamers, for the inventors, for the innovators, it's really easy to be like, well, why wouldn't you? This is so exciting when it's their baby, right? But I, I'm not sure that some of the things I've started, I always put myself in the shoes of the staff who are just there for the paycheck, at, you know, not just for the paycheck, but you know what I mean? Like that's the contract. Hey, trade the hours for dollars, right? And so I'm thinking about this where you're talking about committing to not fixing, not putting out the fires for them and stuff. And like, it feels like, like generate, help them generate this, like kind of that feeling of like, I think we all feel better when we are accountable. So my, my long tangent here is this question. Uh, I'm pretty sure all my friends that run companies could buy in, in like two minutes of listening to, Oh yeah, she has a good point. I probably should quit rescuing, fixing, saving. But it's like my question is the difference between knowing how to do the push-up versus getting myself out of bed at 5 a.m. to do the push-up. So I know I should stop fixing and stuff like this. What kind of what kind of tips or what kind of help can you give me on sticking to that commitment of of not going in the old rut of just fixing it for my staff? Any tips on how to get myself out of bed at 5 a.m. to do the push-up? That question to me is like somebody asked me, how do I improve the relationship with this person? And I say, do you want a relationship with this person? And they say, no. So why am I <laughs> going to tell you ways to do it? You know, or how do, tell me how, tell me ways to get to work on time. Do you want to go to work? No. <laughs> well, why am I going to give you a- Okay. Let me rephrase it. So how do you, um, yeah. advice on helping de- people deliver on their good intentions instead of getting to old ruts? I, think that's the you know age-old question it's not the it's it's to i'd say change my first thing would be change the question mm, okay you yeah, know change yeah, the let's, question let's talk about that what is it well you know what is it you really want mm. i want to be able to do this without having to be accountable okay not doable so it's it's sort of like getting very clear on the car that has three tires getting it to New York. Can you do it? Yeah, if you figure out how to lean the car on two tires and roll that way. So that, that I have to change the question. It's, it's the CEO who says, how do I hold my, you know, my VP accountable? And I say, really? If I put you in a room for an hour and said, figure out a way to hold them accountable in one hour or you die, do you think you'd think of something? 
So part of it is, I don't think I have to treat you like you don't know how to do this, how to keep the commitment to yourself as much as you get to decide. And if you say, hey, welcome to my company, do your job, don't do your job. I might hold you accountable. I might not. That's that's the environment here. Better if you're just self-accountable and I have to spend time with you. But let me tell you how it really works. I haven't really decided that what I say is what I mean. So when I say you are accountable to be successful, and I might not, I don't know. Or this is an environment in which we don't rescue, fix, and save. We So you make the declaration, you put it in writing, and you say, now, Jess, I'm so glad you're going to be working for me. You have full permission to hold me accountable. So get them to hold you accountable for it. A lot of us need that help. It's like my my trainer when I go exercise. I say, here's the thing. I don't like to do this. I'll never like doing this. I hate doing this. But I will show up every day and I will do it. And then I start to see the result. And not doing it is going to get the result I used to get. And so now I'm I'm on that pattern. So when I say to my people, to, to, to my leaders, I'm going to give you some great tips to increase accountability. It's If you want to call it advice, fine. But I'm not giving it to you so that you say, Linda, that is so great. Go make everybody else do this. I'm going to say, so you can say to them, I want you to hold me accountable to this. I'm going to put the pressure on myself by enabling you and giving you permission to interact with me to my highest self. All of us need that help and support. But if you don't want it, you're going to need you you just keep asking for the same, you know, advice. How do I manage my time better? I've been through 10 time management courses. Yeah, that's not the problem. The problem isn't how to do it. It's where's your commitment to this? Okay, so what I love about your answer is, I mean, a I love the set the example like the leader goes first, right? The leader, you hold me accountable. I love that part. But, you know, one of my mentors kind of self-made millionaire, John Verhessen, that was, you know, I, I really credit with so much of my learning. Uh, we own a few companies together. He said, everyone says it takes 21 days to build a habit. And he, he says he thinks that's crap because when his dad had a heart attack, his mom changed their diet the next day, period. Like this destination, like defining the destination, she wanted her husband alive. All of a sudden, all sorts of stuff changed. Like what I was hearing from you is like, don't focus on like, the fuel economy or do we take a right or left turn focus on the destination where are we going here because paying the price feels i'm putting words in your mouth but to me i was hearing like paying the price feels heavy if you don't know where you're going if you know where you're going it's just a cost of doing business like being accountable doing the hard things if you want the result bad enough then going to the trainer isn't that big a deal but if you don't have the result then who wants you know who wants to go work out for no result or for an ambiguous result or anyways that's Am I am I at all in line with what you're thinking? You are, and you're also combining it with the the, the success factor. I think many entrepreneurs have, and and it. I use this example all the time for leaders around accountability and innovation and creativity. Um, Apollo 13. It's such a compelling story because it has all the components of demonstrating why you want to be very clear about what it is you want. Mm. So you say, well, give me some advice to, you know, put this in practice. What I want and I have to have it or we, we, we die is accountability in my organization. We're spending so much time, you know, 
rescue fixing and saving and babysitting and people are not personally accountable when things aren't working. What did Apollo 13 show us? You had a goal and everybody was totally excited about the goal and then something went really wrong. And so what was the first thing they did? What do we have to work with to solve this problem? Entrepreneurs, you have your know-how and very little money, a sock, a bag, and duct tape. And then someone comes along and says, well, you need a FG1 coupler. Fred, 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 we have a sock, a bag, and duct tape. So as soon as everybody is in the room and clear about what they have to work with and they own that, then the commitment hits. You know, the guy that's coming in saying, you know, it wasn't really designed to do this. I don't know if that, you know, it's like, listen, this is it. If you're committed, then let's go. It doesn't mean it's going to work. It means the investor knows, regardless, you're going to keep, you know, working toward that thing that you want. That's what the quality we're looking for. At the same time, it's drawing on every ounce of creativity in the group with this, you know, we might, we may not even have the skill set. But everybody's important, even when we're not in an Apollo 13 scenario. It's the leader's job to put people in that mindset to engage and be committed to that. And things go sideways. And this is what we have to work with. And it just stops all of that, you know, uh, soul sucking energy that goes on because I can't be in that crisis situation 24 seven. But I can be compelled to see the vision of the great thing we're about. And I can learn how to react when things are starting to go sideways. And it's not finger pointing and blaming and telling the story of what happened. It's okay. Everybody let's together look at what we, where we are now and what we have to work with. That can be habituated. It can be. How do you habituate that? You say, well, the first thing I'm going to go to is solution, not explanation of problem and whose fault it. it was i'm gonna i'm just gonna stop people and say okay let's remember where we are and what we're doing and that i just wrote a blog post about this i have a great blog on lindagalinda.com and it was you know that you can at any point in time be in the fray of everybody blaming and explaining and saying you know what i would just like to take ownership of something and move forward what can i take ownership of here to be accountable and move forward. And it just stops everybody cold. It's like, well, we were having so much fun, you know, sucking the energy out of everything. Yeah, I'd like to be about, anybody can do that. That's what I'm teaching in the workforce. Anybody can be accountable. So it's why we're frustrated with, you know, politicians. It's why we're frustrated with service providers because they're telling us a story that doesn't have to do with getting to what we want, which is clarity about where you are with this and what's going to happen next. And so anybody can do it. They could just move right into from now on, instead of blaming, I'm going to take ownership. What does that look like? You know, well, here was my role in this to get it where it is now. Here's what I learned. Here's what I'm going to do differently. And here's how I'm going to go forward and be accountable. Managers out there, Think about this. If someone came into your office and said, you know, while you're off doing your little uh, podcast, not your very important interview, while you were off doing your very important interview, something went wrong. This was my role in it. Here's what I learned. Here's what I did differently. Here's how I fixed it. Here's I'm accountable. That's the whole inter- the meeting. Instead of the line at the door about everything that didn't go well and whose fault it was. 
it's it's completely doable. But here's the thing. It doesn't get rewarded. We've got to activate it again, not only in our organizations, but in society. We have to activate accountability because you can't control those other people. You can only control right here. And what's your I signed that paper. I did not read the fine print yeah. on the terms and conditions, whatever. No, well, own it. But it's I, I love what you're saying because it's so contagious either way, right? When your manager, when yes. your boss, when the CEO takes a pass on personal accountability, it's like a get out of jail free card for everyone down the chain, right? And um, you know, I'm thinking about this idea of like, is there any part of this that is legitimately that I can legitimately take responsibility for? You know, this that this questioning kind of thing. Um, a mentor of mine, a guy named Chip Huth, uh, was in charge of the Kansas City SWAT team, the high-risk search warrant team for years. And I remember him telling me a story once that I think kind of relates. He was saying that he was watching a YouTube video that the PR department at Kansas City PD had put out. And there's all these vile things written in the captions about how much they hate the cops. And and he's reading me this one about, you know, these effing cop killer, these effing dog killers, da-da-da-da-da, and all this stuff. And Chip says to me, he's, he's, you know, we're on the phone, but he has me look at the video and he says, you know, what did I do to deserve that? And I'm thinking, yeah, you didn't do anything. What did you do to deserve that? He's like, no, no, Jess, what did I actually do to deserve any part of that? And he's like, I'm not saying that that guy wasn't out of control, but you know what? When we go into a house, if there's a dog and, and there's any threat to us, we just put the dog down every time. So what I did is I went to the guys on the team and I said, okay, we're all getting arrested tonight, okay? Show of hands, we got two options. One, they arrest me, they kill my dog. Two, they arrest me, they don't kill my dog. Who, who's voting for option number one? No hands go up. He says, okay, show of hands. Who considers the dog part of the family? All these you know, big tattoo guys with huge muscles on top of their shoulders, they all raise their hand, right? So he asked the hard question, because the status quo, nobody's gonna bug him about status quo. He asked the hard question, what are we gonna do about it? And they hired this guy, who teaches uh, pit bulls to be PTSD companion dogs for soldiers. And they brought him in, trained the whole SWAT team on dogs on how to tell whether a dog is a threat or not. They kill 80% less dogs now. And, and it's because they know if a dog is a threat or not, instead of just like, oh, well, there's a dog, shoot it. You know? And it's not like, he says, people don't love me because they didn't shoot their dog. They didn't want me to, sh they didn't expect me to shoot the dog anyways. But he says, Look at how many fewer problems I'm causing for fellow cops. By those 80% of dogs that we didn't put down, how many, how many angry families don't exist that I would have otherwise created? And anyways, I just, that's what it made me think about. Brilliant, brilliant example of mindset of ownership and commitment to a result to, to then start solving. Never would have thought of that. What, you know, Accountability is a mindset of ownership and commitment to a result before the fact. So, so, so when I'm sitting in a room of, you know, maybe a board of directors of a nonprofit and I'm engaged and I'm, and, and I, I, people are solving stuff and I'm like, I don't understand what are we solve? What's the problem? Everybody jumps in and is activity, activity. And I have to stop and say, what's the mindset of ownership and commitment to what is the result that we're all committed to? I'm not clear. And it's, 
takes an act of courage to get clarity because clarity and accountability go hand in hand. And so in that instance that you just said, they could have thrown a hundred solutions at it. And what was the, what they were very clear about the result, a better idea of when something really was a threat or not. And then at the end of the day, good relations with people that they are, they're there to serve and protect. Brilliant example of that, that once you see clearly, this is the result I want and I own that, then you start coming up with solutions that are accountable solutions that start with yourself, not a, not a program of, you know, of let's, let's just not, not respond to the threat uniformly. Just a, just such a great example that, so everybody has to stop for a second and call the question. If I'm going to be here and participate in exchange for pay, or I'm going to ask you to participate with me in exchange for pay, or it's just so fun you'll work for free. That's why people volunteer because they get to use their full skill. Then tell me what it's, let me be very clear about what we're after and how I can participate. And if you start jumping in front of me and not learn and risk and then I, I just stop. It's like a micromanaging, you know, parent that kids figure out no matter what you do, they're going to come along and fix it or do it better. And so you just give up. You just wait to be told. Happens in organizations all the time. It's like I've got people who stop thinking because you're thinking for them. Why do you need? Well, I just can't I can't go through the pain of letting them take ownership, good or bad. And that's the definition of accountability as well. It's good or bad. You still have ownership. So so the values in the struggle for people to learn and grow and develop and to say, instead of just solving this problem about police and dogs, let's get really clear on what result we're after and agree on that and what success to us and agree on that. And then put in play. What do we need to do? Love it. Brilliant. Get them to. Well, I love what you just said. You know, this agreeing on what success is. Imagine if more teams were writing that down. I think about teams that I led worse than I could have. If I had sat there and written, like had the whole team come together and write down what success looks like. You know, uh, we got sabotaged by the Internet. We lost you for just a minute. And I think what you're saying is that it takes courage to ask for that kind of clarity. Is that what you were saying? Yes, period. Well, Take courage to ask that kind of clarity. Raise your hand and ask your question. If you're not clear, people will say, sitting in the meeting, I'll be with them in the meeting, and this initiative is out there. You know, we're going to go live with this new software program, and there's like a 100 questions in the room, and no one asks a question. And I go outside, and I say, how come no one asks a question? Why didn't you raise your hand? Oh, Two years ago, someone raised their hand and they went in this room and they never came out. <laughs> it's like, really? Well, you know, you have really, really smart, often very technical people. So I would ask uh, everyone to really consider, as you might have been pointing to, when you're in a room and you're going to work together on something, often the team understands the goal. If it's a sports team, win. Get the most points. Stay within the, the regulations of the game. Yeah. But when you're, you're, you're doing the goal for, say, a software Im- implementation or development, usually there's a, there's a deadline, you know, a by when. But that's not success. People often hit the deadline and don't feel successful. Yeah? So you have to say, so what are we saying success is? And one of the IT teams I was working with, 
was profound. It was completely profound. They took full ownership for the success of this design and and then implementation. And so the goal was go live September 24, but they, they worked a little harder at agreeing on what success would be, and here's what they came up with. Success is six months from the date of go live. We'll stand back and look at the implementation, and there will have been zero workarounds that everyone used the problem-solving process we agreed to when they hit something that didn't behave the way we designed it to behave. And, and instead of trashing it, and we didn't pick this, and who's the dummy? They just said, let's have the same response when they hit something like that, and no workarounds occur over that six months. Then they celebrated the success. And it was far more meaningful than hitting the goal. And a definition of success can be created for everything you're touching. And when you do it in that group, then you're a part of something great, really great. Everybody owns the result. They're all accountable. Well, and I feel like inherent in what you're saying is this is not one of those the boss came in and said, this is our this is what we've all decided. It's, inherently, it sounds like it's an actual group c- conclusion of what that success is rather than the CEO, then the inventor showing up and saying, this is what I've decided you all want to be a part of. Yes. Yes. Just, and just, just to be clear. <laughs> yes. And, 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 you know, look, getting eye contact and people saying, no, I want to be the superstar prima donna. Okay, fine. Perfect. But say that's what you're doing. Hi, everyone. You're all necessary evils in my plan. I'll tolerate you. But don't think or, you know, want to engage. I mean, just can't you just come in and do your job in exchange for pay? But being really clear on your role and having that role clarity, like in a surgery where we interdepend and we don't say, oh, I'm sorry, he's bleeding out. That's not my role. We, we, when we need to, real teams do have to interdepend. But even more importantly, and I hear this team thing all the time, especially in entrepreneurial startups, We're a team, and I'm thinking, if you're a team, I'm an astronaut. You're not even close (laughs) because you're not holding each other accountable. Mm -hmm. When you hold each other accountable, that's team. That's, okay, hold on a second. We agreed we'd come prepared and that, you know, you wouldn't be off doing something else and that we'd make up for the difference. Of course, if it's family issue or something unexpected, will interdepend and take care of it, but not this. It's like when you write a college paper and you got a group that you didn't pick and two people want the A and the other thing you're like, I got a great group because they're going to totally steamroll me and get it done. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not a team. That's a group of people just, you know, elbowing their way to the A (laughs) and being resentful. Right. It happens at work all the time. Like here's your team. And I was like, I didn't pick those people. A real team, you could vote people off the island. Really, it's like you're not accountable and there's a skill issue here. And it's not mean, it's accountability. It's just, it's not mean. So when I work at the top of the organization, when I come in, the CEO is my client. They want this value in their organization. They really don't understand the pressure it's going to put on them because all I do very slowly is hold up a mirror. You know, you want accountability. Let me tell you why they're doing what they're doing. And when you go look in a mirror and your hair is kind of weird because the wind was blowing, you don't go in the mirror and do this. You go like this. You have to fix it here and then you'll get the reflection back. So I can describe uh, the culture of an organization perfectly just by talking to the, the 
hierarchically the lowest level in the organization. You know, just talking to them, I could describe the leadership perfectly. So when the leaders really internalize that and they say, I'm going to take what Linda's telling me and I'm going to apply it to myself and then invite people to hold me accountable to these things that I've learned because I need that support. Magical, but it takes incredible courage. It's very, very rigorous. You know, and when you go and exercise for the first time and the muscle hurts and then you go back to the training and say, oh, I can barely walk. Fabulous. You know, <laughs> something's happening. Um, you know, my people don't like me as much anymore. They didn't like it to begin with. <laughs> Too funny. Okay. I want to, I want to shift gears here a little bit because I feel like there's, there's some benefit that we need to get out of you before we let you off the show. So you have a skill set of being able to get CEOs to hire you. I think there's a lot of, a lot of people these days, whether it's a nonprofit that's trying to get a meeting with a CEO, whether it's a business owner or a, an entrepreneur trying to get a, a, a CEO as a client. What advice can you give us about how you've been able to get the word out about your books and your business and, and any things that you've learned over these 20 years about how do you actually get the C-suite to hire you? Well, uh, now 100% of that is referral. So I've had success with the, the CEO. How did I get to them to begin with? Well, often accountability was put in the, in the bucket of training. You know, come and train people to be accountable. How do I hold people accountable? We need training in that. And I decided early on that I don't do training. I do education and I provide a concept and then people have to make a decision. So a lot of failures in the beginning being hired in at the wrong place of the organization. A year later, didn't take hold. Uh, the training department, HR, they had it. They put it in play. But the CEO was nowhere on the map. And I'm thinking, unless there's someone in the room telling them why they're in the room, what was the number one question we'd get on this fantastic concept that you could use whether you had your CEO coming or not? They'd raise their hand and say, well, is our leadership seeing this? I mean, really, they want us to, you know, raise our hand and get clear? I don't think. So then I started to get a clue. So when people would refer me, I'd say, can I have a conversation with the CEO in order to see if the organization is so really ask. ready for this? I don't want you to. Yeah, you, I, didn't, you ask, I don't want to. Ask me with the CEO. I think, I think a lot of us, um, we get taught to be nice. And sometimes asking isn't necessarily something we've grown up being encouraged to do. Um, okay. Yeah, so, do your business, do your business like you are going to be accountable to the CEO, period. That's great. Um, so tell me this, when, when it comes to getting the word out for people to buy the books, what, what kind of things have you experimented with? What's worked? How, how, how would you, what would you credit with some of the success for your books you've written? Focus. So I would, uh, this is a question I ask people, what's your hashtag? Mine is hashtag accountability. When you hear the name Linda Galindo, accountability. So when I ask people who want to, they're passionate about what they're doing, you know, it might be medical device. It might be startup. It might be, you know, software development. What's the thing? And don't be all things to all people so that, you know, when they start to ask you because you're feeling a little bit shaky about, you know, making sure your future is secure, you're just taking everything I say you're going to be better off taking only those things that are in your focus. And so I always ask, what's the hashtag for you? And if they can't tell me that, then I say it's going to be hard to find you in all the noise. 
stand for one thing and focus on that one thing, even if it means you have to give up business. I found it over and over again to be, you know, I could do this, but it's not going to work. That's what I say to people. And so, and there's pressure. I mean, you got kids in college, you got a house payment. I understand that. But to the person that I have been, you know, professional colleagues with, the ones that have chosen to focus are healthy, productive, still energized by what they do. And and if it's time to stop doing it, they move to something else, but they don't have multiple masters. Yeah. Okay. I love this. You know, riding two bicycles usually ends up with someone be on the street, right? Um, face down with some skin knees. Okay. Uh, um, so yes. what is practically, what does this look like? Is your team heavily involved in social? I know that you get asked to be a speaker a lot. Uh, do you do traditional marketing, content marketing, social marketing? What, what, like, what are some of the how to's that, what is it a day in the life at, with, with your team look like? We do all that. So, um, someone is watching Twitter for accountability mentions, and then we just go and read and see if there's a way to tag onto that with commentary from me. I do my blog twice a month. J- just to pause you. So on the Twitter, are you guys, is this like somebody's on Hootsuite or something monitoring this? How are you, how are you finding those hashtags? Yes. Okay. Uh, someone's on Hootsuite. Um, and then we programmed our uh, social media for the week. Mm. So the social media is programmed uh, a week at a time in advance. Uh, if something very um, timely shows up in the news, then we jump off, off, off of that program and, and go ahead and comment. But there are certain publications that we're always watching and then, you know, comment where we think a CEO is sort of hovering in that world and we'll do commentary. So, okay. yes. So then you got the blog. And then I have my blog twice a week. And so I have subscribers to the blog who then forward, you know, really timely, great how, advice. How, how has it been? So how long have you been blogging? Uh, the way I should be. No, just <laughs> how, how long has the blog been out there? Uh, I'd say five years. And then how long have you been doing it more consistently? Two years. And, and what have you recognized over this five years and this two years? What, what lessons have you learned? It's, it's stunning to me that just because you're not getting immediate feedback, how people will, when they meet you or you've gone to a speaking engagement and they're on your blog, will say, I love the one about, you know, the lady who told her boss off, but she was very accountable about it. And it's like, they're out, people will refer to stuff you've written that you have no idea is getting through to them. And the other thing it does is it forces you to clarify your thinking about topics. And the other thing about blogging is that when you write very personal things that are, you know, related to business, they're not so personal that people shouldn't know, it's not TMI. Uh, it's a connection. It's a great connection. It took me a long time to be willing to write very personally, although you wouldn't think that reading the 85% solution, because that's totally personal. But um, today it is, you know, a little edgy in terms of me trying to avoid sarcasm, but at the same time being very personal. Um, and that's, it, it just, it's like going to Toastmasters. It makes you think on your feet be concise, be valuable, and people remember it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I mean, I'm not surprised that you get asked to do a lot of speaking. You know, 
shout out to the Utah State University who put us together, you know, down that statewide conference you were at. Because I think we were about three and a half seconds into the conversation before you're cracking jokes. And um, when you think about people landing business, you you have like one of these like big smiles, magnetic personality. And it's like you're, you kind of like giving people a hard time. Like you are not that prim and proper. You like your relationship building is like a <laughs> it's like it's like the assumed friendship. And. I, I, I can see how people would reflect that. Do you have any tips on engaging people and and those in person? Like, how do you turn this from a we could exchange business cards to, wow, I really like them? Uh, it's a Covey principle for sure. It hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. I saw him in person. I hadn't had any exposure to his books or anything. I went to a talk. There he was. And he said one thing, and from then on, I didn't hear anything else. And he said, be interested, not interesting. Boom. It was, you know, I, I had a, another, uh, shortly thereafter, to, to solidify that idea, I was at a board, a brand new board member, very high-powered people, and uh, sitting in the big chair to participate, and uh, at the end of the board meeting, one of the people on the board took me aside and said, can I just give you a little feedback? And I said, sure. And he said, you're teaching people not to listen to you. He said, you make really great points, but you bury your points in trying to prove you know things and that you should be here. And you could have just sat through that whole meeting and said two sentences and you know, would have been very credible. So you need, you know, I just wanted to tell you that. And, you know, I was, I was mortified and humiliated and have thanked that person every day since, because it's, it's about listening and listening to understand what is success to you so that I can contribute to your success. It's not about me and that, yeah, I'm fasting. I'm I can just talk forever on the subject. I am funny and it's all great, but I'm more interested in you. And then when the time comes and you want me to do what I do, you know, I'll, I'll open it up. But that, that was it. That was, you know, I'm, I've become a student and interested in other success more than my own. And that makes me memorable. I think. Yeah, no, I mean, we showed up, you harassed me and then <laughs> we told some jokes and, and, you know, two minutes later, you're saying, okay, tell me about this show. What's this show all about? You know what I mean? So, yeah. so uh, I, no. I got to see it in action. Well, you were, and you were the energy behind that. You actually show up being what you do, no question about it. And, you know, there, there was a whole host of people that at that same time were coming up to the table. And I remember this one guy in particular who said something like, well, tell me why. Prove to me I should buy this book, buy your book. And I said, I don't think you should have it. I don't think you should buy it. You know, <laughs> buy. <laughs> and it's a little bit of the take it away clothes, which means I honestly and genuinely have learned over time. Everybody's fine how they are. I like you. How, I don't want you to change. I don't, you know, I don't need you to change. You don't change. I don't care. I think you're fine. You have to want to change. Or you have to be interested in something you might hear that makes you uncomfortable. And 
I'll always, that's my brand. My brand is the straight truth. So when I had the branding expert go, and by the way, I'd have, I'd recommend this to anybody. My branding guy, his company's called Fearless Branding. Just, just go right to the edge. And so we went to the straight truth. He said he talked to every one of my clients and they said, um, the one thing she'll do is just say it. And she doesn't care if you like her or not, but she cares deeply about you. Even if you start to cry after she said it, she doesn't even give you a Kleenex or anything. She just <laughs> walks up. And it's, it isn't that I mean, it's that what is it you want? Well, Trying to, to be get helpful. The, you have to tell the truth. And when the truth happens, boom. You know, it's like you could do it. You don't have to do it. I don't care. Uh, yeah, I am going to add a clarifier to that, though, because I know a lot of people who claim they're telling the truth. When they just want an excuse to be rude, they say things like, well, I just call it how I see it. And I think the modifier that's important that you just said is it might be blunt. You might need Kleenex, even though I'm not going to give you some. But it's from a place of I care about you instead of a place of I'm feeling offended or I'm feeling put down or I'm feeling whatever. So I'm saying something that is true. Hey, I'm only I'm only saying, you know, everyone else. I'm only saying what everyone else is thinking, you know, and I think that underlying aspect is is really important to what you just said of you know those times when somebody sets us straight but they did it because they cared about us you want yes. a benefit that can be yeah and then somebody will say oh i'm just being brutally honest and ha 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 wasn't that funny and i think you know in total seriousness it is a privilege to access individuals who really want to know why there's this disconnect and in their inability to connect with their people and hold them to their highest self and good and accountable. Um, and they're, they're, they're frightened. Um, they're, you know, there's a lot of things and you have to, you have to really decide you are committed to their success. If, if something goes off in my, you know, radar that says, I don't even like you, let alone want you to be successful. Of course, I'm not going to take the work for money because I'm not going to be authentic and credible. It's going to be a gimmick yeah. or a process versus, you know, I'm still not getting it. I don't know where you want to go. I don't understand. I'm not clear. And maybe that lack of clarity is because you're not clear. Let's go look together. So the the opportunity is, you know, profound. Uh, accountability is very deep, and it, it calls upon you to be your best self. Yeah. So I have to be careful who I, who I you know, I'm going to sure. do that with. Well. Listen, uh, before we close here, we always like to ask all the guests what advice they would have for us at Child Rescue. You know, you've you've been able to get the word out. You've got a 20-year career. You've got people reading your books and calling you to fix their company and speak at their conferences. What advice would you have for us at Child Rescue on how we can get the word out, how we can get more people involved in helping kids? It's that personal connection. As you told me about it, it never occurred to me that my daughters could, you know, be involved, you know, against their will in a situation like that. And if it did touch me that directly in some way, what would I want to do? So what creates that connection to say it's not somebody else's kids, it's your kids. And that's all of us. So it has to be the headline every single day that this is happening and that it can't. What can I do individually and and what do you need and whatever the answer is do it so the ask just being very very clear that this is exactly where your money or your time goes so that this is no longer a reality in our society what's the ask and then 
it's your kids. It's not somebody else's kids. That's great. Wow. It's amazing. Um, Thank you for that. Work. Uh, we, uh, we feel lucky that we get to participate. Um, so, uh, Finally, we've been talking about different books. Obviously, your page here on ideationcollective.com has got the Amazon links to your books. Um, but in closing, any other books that you feel like uh, leaders, managers, innovators should be reading? The most important one for me has been The Power of Now. It's Eckhart Tolle. It's not the most well-written uh, tome in the world, but it's got a really amazing message to it about staying very present with people and working with what's right there instead of the pastor going forward. And for me personally, it's had a profound effect on um, using what's right in front of me very well in a short period of time. So it just kind of is a great reminder that all you have is right now. And I travel a lot and, you know, there's a lot of noise out there, but it just gets me centered very quickly. Um, the other book that I think is fantastic, it's a must read, is called, um, oh, great. Uh, it's by Warren Bennis, and the subtitle is The Unconscious Conspiracy. <laughs> we'll look uh, it up. We'll look it up and put it on the page. Yeah, Warren Bennis, and it's The Unconscious Conspiracy. Oh, Why Leaders Can't Lead. R written in 1985, as relevant today as it was when it was written, and I, it's marked up and dog-eared, and I just on, on, on it all the time. Why leaders? Why leaders can't can't, can't leave? Leave. Lead. Lead. Why leaders can't lead? Okay. The unconscious conspiracy by Warren Bennis. That's okay. It. We're gonna put it on. Okay. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a riot. Wouldn't expect anything less. My pleasure. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.